folks, it's time for another episode of Fishtails. And today, I am super excited. I say this every time. I'm always excited. Everybody's been so great. I'm so excited. Leslie Kizka is here. She runs StressBaking.com. And we're going to talk about food blogging and maybe some stuff around the uh, tech industry in general. But it's stick around. It's going to be a great conversation. Leslie, please introduce yourself. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. I was surprised that you wanted to talk to me because I don't find myself particularly interesting. But come on now. <laughs> maybe I'll change my own mind by the end of this. Uh, like you said, I'm Leslie Kiska. Uh, I am known as a technical program manager um, in tech engineering space. I've been doing that for, oh God, longer than I want to admit, I think. Um, and... In addition to that, I am also the uh, founder and current sole employee of uh, stressbaking.com, which is a uh, food blog that has a lot of my personality added in, uh, which some think is good, some do not because they just want the recipe. Um, but it's uh, it was a hobby of mine that turned into an LLC and, you know, sort of a second full-time job. <laughs> A second full-time job on top of everything else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I really want to know about the blog. I want to know everything about the blog. Like, how did you start the blog? Like, I want the origin story of Leslie goes and starts this blog. I want all the details. Anything you'll share. Like, give me the history. Tell me a story. It's a little fuzzy in the beginning, but I can give you um, the general story. Uh, I believe it started as a blogger domain nice. for everything free um but the way it really started was that i was going through a particularly stressful time in my life and um i just i couldn't sleep so the insomnia led to me being up and just trying to find something to do and i think the first thing that came up was like well it was somebody's birthday in the office at the job I was working at at the time. And so I was like, well, I was going to make some cupcakes or something for them. So I might as well do that now. And then I'll stick them in the fridge and they'll be ready for the next day. So it was like three o'clock in the morning. And uh, I made a crap load of cupcakes, brought them in and people were raving about them. I was like, oh, that's neat. And then insomnia continued. So I kept doing this middle of the night baking. And at the time I lived by myself. So I had nobody to eat these except for myself. <laughs> I um, love it. And I, you know, I, I lived in Burlington, Vermont at the time, and everybody up there is very, like, open and will take anything. So I probably could have just walked out on the street with a platter of cookies and been like, hello, kind stranger, take these. But that felt weird. So I kept bringing them into my office, and I kept doing the midnight baking and all this. And somebody jokingly said to me, like, wow, you did some stress baking last night? And I was like, wow, that's a good tagline. And I just kind of ran with it. And my dad had been asking for these recipes from me <laughs> and I knew he wasn't going to bake any of it. He doesn't do baking, but he wanted to know what they were. So I was writing it down and I kept emailing to him. And, you know, these are the days of, I want to say Yahoo, maybe originally in email. It was just terrible. It was a terrible system. So I had this blogger domain. I was like, well, dad, I'm just, you just go here. And then you can see whatever I've made. I promise I'll post everything there. And it was literally just me typing up the recipe, throwing it on this blogger domain. And he was looking at it and, you know, just being a proud dad. And like, oh, look what you did. And I knew he wasn't making anything with it. But then he started sharing it with friends of his who did do baking. 
and it kind of caught on and then it started to get a little bit of traffic and then the people I was working with were asking for the recipes. So then I would send them the links and then that traffic went up. And one day in 2015, uh, I had this recipe for the, oh, they're still on the site now, but a recipe for Jack and Coke cupcakes that I had made. It went viral because a celebrity at the time who I'm not going to mention because they are not a great person. We have now discovered in recent times, um, but they were very important at the time and very popular. And they shared it on, I think their Facebook page. Oh, wow. Wow. And it went viral and I got more traffic than blogger could handle. <laughs> so I had to scramble and like looking for a host and everything. And then at that point I purchased the stressbaking.com domain. So I think that was like 2015, 2016. And uh, it just kind of grew from there. And it's like I started monetizing with, I think, Google Ads to begin with. And then I got like a pitch from an ad company asking if I wanted to join them, which was Mediavine, which is who I'm with now. And it just kind of like, just kind of went up from there. And then it got to a point I was making enough revenue each month that I was like, ooh, I need to protect myself and I need to form an LLC just in case because uh-huh. it would be crazy. And the amount of like ridiculous comments that you get from people that are like, you know, I, I tried to make this chocolate cake and I didn't have any chocolate powder. So there was no cocoa powder. So I used the sand in my backyard and now I have, (laughs) there's just, it's barely an exaggeration. (laughs) So it's like, well, I need to do something to protect myself. So I formed this LLC, you know, got a business checking account and the whole thing. And now it is its own entity. It has like, legal protection to it and i can keep everything separate and organized which is a very big deal to me but it's it's a business and it's a business that's like slowly growing still over time but uh 2020 was a good year for stress baking because i uh, bet it was (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was a trending term (laughs) yeah so i i'm certain that i have heard the term stress baking before 2020 before the pandemic but it certainly was everywhere. And I remember going to the grocery store and it was just like, I just needed sugar. Like I wasn't even like making anything. It was just like, I needed sugar and there was no sugar. And I remember, you know, the chatter, maybe even in in channels where you and I are in the same you know place, maybe even chatter there where it's like, yes, flour is gone. And I remember going and then I was like looking. So then it was like, I was aware of it. I'm looking. It is nowhere to be found. So I'm a horrible baker but I love cooking mm-hmm. and I have purchased an entirely new oven. Okay. This is the Ooh. point. Now my mom is a very good baker and my mom's friend and, and a business partner, lo- lifelong friend and a previous business partner. She has a really nice oven and stove. Now she is a, she is a hardcore cooker and canner and they grow a garden. This is very Southern, like they're in West Virginia and they do the thing. Yeah. And when I say a garden, I mean, we're measuring this garden, air quotes garden in acres, but you know, yeah. like they do a garden and they're, her, her stove is amazing. I'm so jealous. Like it is so amazing. Cause she was like, Oh, you got a new stove. What did you get? And I just, just like, oh, I got a Frigidaire, you know, like whatever. I got this induction cook type top oven thing. Like, I'm just like, yeah, it's a thing and it's induction. That's all I care about. <laughs> and she has this amazing oven and I'm convinced that this has improved my baking. Two things that I've done that have improved my baking. I got that oven, which is weird because it's a convection oven and they cheaped out and they only put a burner in the top of the, or uh, not a burner, a heating element in the top of the oven. 
but yeah. the fan, you know, moves that air even when it's not in convection mode. Mm -hmm. I bought new pans and I read all over the internet, bought these cheap Amazon pans, but they're great. They're steel pans that are aluminum clad. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. does that sound right? And I bought those fancy, they're fancy to me, the French silicone mats. Yeah. Oh, that's like, what I use exclusively. Yeah. Okay. All right. Huge difference. Okay. Right there. Cookies stopped burning on the bottom. Those mats are amazing. They're brown without burning. Like, but help me. Like, help me, because that's it. Now I'm stuck. It's like cakes. Cakes still don't come out right, no matter what. If I bake in glass and I adjust the temperature, if I bake in no dark nonstick and I adjust the temperature, if I bake in a, air quotes, regular pan, some of the best success I've had lately is I've switched to just trying those disposable foil pans because yeah. I'm literally going crazy. Like, I cannot bake. Help me. Help me. <laughs> well, so when it comes to that stuff... Convection ovens are tough um, because the, I mean, the idea behind it is like it's speeding things up and it's circulating the air and the heat more evenly, but it makes it tough with baked goods because you're going, you're kind of going off the beaten path. Um, so that is hard because I, I try to test all of my recipes in my, my oven oven and also our toaster oven because some things you can do in both and like it's not an issue but some things you cannot um and it, it's tricky it takes a little trial and error and that's one of those things that like i want to be able to help people figure that out but it is such a a tricky thing and every oven's a little bit different and all that so um whether or not you meant to gave me a good leeway uh leeway lead in to my baking basics series. Um, so I've got a whole series on the site that is intended to help people who aren't familiar with, you know, being in the kitchen or trying to improve or, you know, are terrified of the idea of baking, you know. So it's, I've got all these different posts for different things. And one of them is calibrating your oven because so many people don't realize that like, <laughs> unfortunately, the oven doesn't usually come perfect. Um, so you have hot spots and you have cold spots and it does matter if you're using top rack, middle rack, bottom rack. Um, so I kind of go into all of that and the different ways to calibrate using thermometers and, you know, testing with like a cookie kind of thing. But you, it, it's very personal. That sounds really weird to say, but it's a very personal thing because everybody's oven is different. And anytime I've moved, I've had to relearn all of my stuff in a new oven. Um, but the, the good thing about that is that I have learned the different ways to calibrate and get things settled in a way that it should be, I should be able to write recipes for anybody as long as you're also taking the step of calibrating your own oven, which it sounds really intense and it's not. Um, just taking like a Sunday and letting a thermometer kind of coast and tell you where different temperatures are in, in your in your oven makes a huge difference because once you know that like, oh yeah, if I try to bake two sheets of this cake at the same time, the right side of my oven is like 35 degrees lower than the rest, then you know that and you can either accommodate for it by like, you know, cranking up the oven heat or putting it in a little bit longer or whatever. But knowing, knowing your oven <laughs> is is like step number one. So I've got that in the series because that's a that's a tough thing to get situated if you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> well, 
this one, like I said, it's fascinating because that fan, it has to run or yeah. the oven will just be hot on the top. Like it has to run even not. In, and that's why I was kind of like, I've tried convection mode and it's like it literally maybe, maybe the fan runs 50% more, yeah. but it's not a big, big difference. The one thing I've learned, speaking of this, the one thing I've learned. So because I don't have a bottom heating element, I can yeah. put a rack all the way in the bottom of the oven, which is unusual. It's kind of like, I've never seen that before. I'm like, okay. And I tried baking some stuff in the bottom and the way the fan circulates that air, if I use that bottom position, the things closest to the door burn. Like if I'm yeah. cooking, I make pizza rolls. I'm on this kick about trying to crack this pizza roll recipe from a gas station in Eastern Kentucky. Don't ask. This is like okay. a whole thing, you know, <laughs> like anyways, best food in the world, gas station, Eastern Kentucky or West Virginia. Just love it. And Anyways, the ends of these pizza rolls closest to the door will like it's very dark, almost burning, just the way that air kind of comes down the front of that door. Yeah. And it's like the heat comes straight out of the top, straight down that door and back across the bottom in it. So I've learned that. And I've also learned to, to work around that. I can, you know, to rotate my pans every couple minutes. Yeah. So I was going to say like taking the temperature down by like 25 degrees can kind of help offset some of that usually. Um, yeah, making sure that you're rotating the pans, which is something everybody should do anyway, if you're baking anything for a substantial amount of time. But like, I know nobody does it. <laughs> like, I know that if I tell you halfway through, turn the pan, I know you're walking away from it. <laughs> so, so I try to accommodate for that. <laughs> do you cook, do you have, do you have an immersion circulator? Do you cook sous vide? No. Okay. The whole thing here, I got into all this, like the, the sous vide cooking is because people look at it, like, wow, it's really fancy. Oh, it's expensive. Oh, you know, oh, I can't afford to do that. Or oh, there's all kinds of excuses. I don't want to cook in plastic. Very, that's valid. That's fair. There's ways yeah. to cook in glass. But the biggest one I hear is like, oh, that's so expensive. And that's so fancy. It's like, it was a hundred dollars. I'm not, it's not cheap. But it was a hundred dollars for the circulator. And the whole reason I'm into the sous vide cooking is because it is so foolproof. Then it's, it's so, it is for the lazy person like me. Yep. I put my food in a bag in a thing of water that cannot overheat hotter than it is. And I walk away. Yeah. There's no other than checking to make sure it didn't like start leaking halfway through the cooking. Literally, you, it is truly set it and forget it. Yeah. And, and it is amazing. So I'm wanting that for baking. And I have heard that I can get close to that with one of these really fancy combi ovens or, or steam ovens where they're like, yeah. where it bakes with the steam to control all that. Do you have any experience with those? I don't. That is one thing I have not gotten into when, uh, and to be totally honest, it's because when all of that started to become popular, I was intrigued by it. Like I wanted to mess around with it. Um, I had gotten really sick and uh, I haven't really recovered from that. So it's, uh, it, wasn't at the top of my list anymore. And it was like, well, I'm not going to spend money on this thing knowing that like I can barely be upright for 25 minutes at a time. So Ugh. I'm certainly not going to start messing with new tools in the kitchen. Um, but it's it's like still on my list of something I want to check out because the, the set it and forget it part is very appealing <laughs> to me and, you know, everyone else. Um, so I want to get into it. And now you're reminding me that like, maybe I really do need to, to, make that a slightly higher priority because I still think about it all the time. <laughs> well, we'll stay in touch on that because yep. yes, I'm very, I'm still interested. Yes. So this would be a good thing anyways. All right. What else you got for me? I kind of derailed you cause I'm just so excited about the, the cooking stuff. So yeah. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't derail anything. Um, but yeah, like calibrating the oven is a big deal. Um, and the other thing that I find is, 
I guess, I guess common is the right word, um, is that people don't realize that the shelf life of ingredients really does matter. And this is something I fight with my husband on because <laughs> he will leave stuff in the pantry or the fridge literally years at a time if I don't go through and do a purge every now and then. <laughs> this, I'm interrupting you again. This is a guy thing. And I know it it's, it's 2022. I know that there are people are like, oh, yeah, that's sexist. Oh, it is. No, no. But I'm saying as a guy, this is a guy thing. Like yeah. it's such a guy thing. So, yep, I'm with you. I'm with your husband yeah. on that. Yes. Because, I mean, it's the sort of thing you're like, yes, you know, baking soda is a great example. No, it doesn't go bad, quote unquote, but it does lose its effectiveness. So like, no, it's not going to form mold or anything that's going to show you it's time to go. But you you do need to replace it sometimes if you're not going through it the way I do. Like, typically, it's not an issue. I'm, I'm going through things quickly enough. But you there are expiration dates for these things. So when you get to a certain point, with like baking powder is the that's kind of the biggest deal um that will lose its effectiveness so you could be adding it to something and it's it's doing nothing like it's just a dead ingredient so you if you're if you don't know what to look for or if you haven't paid attention to the expiration date or something then you're gonna find yourself adding that to a recipe like maybe a cake and nothing happens and it doesn't rise and you're like oh well i did everything right and you're like well you did except you were already screwed from the beginning because you were using an, an expired agreement. You know, it's like, it's, it's one of those things that's so easy to overlook that one of the things uh, a friend of mine does actually, and I should add this somewhere to the blog because I think it's genius. She, even though there's an expiration date on all of the ingredients and all that, she tapes like, like very heavily tapes, a little post-it note to the top or the side, I'm not sure where, of every ingredient she has with just the date that she needs to throw it away. Just huge letters, like black magic marker, so she can't miss it because she is the type of person that will completely ignore it and then use the same thing for six years and wonder why it's not working. So, I mean, that it's in her face and then she sees like, oh, nope, can't use it. And she won't even question herself. She'll just be like, nope, I remember that's expired. Throw it away and then replace it with a new thing. And it's, there are, and I'm not going to give away all my secrets, but uh, there are ways to check if things are, are expired and no longer effective or less effective. Um, and I, I cover that on the site too, so that you can test it. There are easy tests before you add it to the recipe, um, but you have to do it. <laughs> it's the problem. So I was going to say, I was going to say, okay, so you're teasing us with like, I'm not going to give away my secret. So it's on the blog. We can it, find it on the blog. Okay. Uh, well, I will toss out. I do test my baking powder because I keep a ton of baking soda because I use baking soda for all kinds of stuff. But okay. baking powder, I don't use as often. I do test it. Right. And I wanted to talk a bit about baking powder for a second. Yeah. Do you, I, I know I've asked you about, you know, in the past uh, offline or other conversations, I've asked you about certain YouTubers or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you're like, oh yeah, of course I've seen them. And I'm just like, you know, but I'm always like, I'm always cautious. Like, have you seen this person? Have you seen any of the shorts on YouTube or I think, I think maybe he's on TikTok too of uh, B Dylan Hollis. Don't think so. Okay. He is hilarious. And he calls baking powder floof powder. And when he's making these recipes, because, of course, they're YouTube shorts, they're 60 seconds. So they're very, very edited and they're very fast paced. But because of what he calls the various ingredients, it has like pinned them in my mind as to their usage. 
so that I know baking powder is to help things rise because he calls it the floof powder. Anyway, <laughs> I am not doing this justice. You have to go check him out. Okay. Uh, of course, for everybody listening, all of these links are going to be in the show notes. But yes, floof powder. And of course, you have, I, I'm not going to do it just, but he does this whole accent with it. He's very animated. I love it. And it's like, yes, a floof and one tablespoon of floof powder. And it's just awesome. So I. Okay, I'm literally writing it down right now because I don't, oh, wait, yes, I do. I just didn't know by name. Yeah, because he does all the old time recipes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he is hilarious. I never caught the floof powder thing, which probably says something about me because I have my own names for ingredients in my head. And uh, the Google SEO gods don't love when you don't call things exactly what they're looking for. So sure. I have to like really hold back to not use my nicknames for things. Maybe I've been calling it floof powder in my head and I didn't even catch that he's saying that. <laughs> well, I'm definitely going there. It's going to be floof powder for me from now floof on. Powder. He, he is so funny. He, he might have been one of the first people started following on TikTok when I tried to join and uh, be a young person. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was just very funny to me because his reactions to things are the way that I react inside my head. <laughs> Everything that he's done, he makes, and I love when he tries a recipe that's very questionable and yes. he gives very honest reactions, both good and bad. I appreciate that he doesn't try to paper over it. Like he's nope. like, this is gross. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So on the basics of baking stuff. Now I have a controversial question. I think this is controversial. So I have a question. I think it's controversial. In 2022, do I need to sift my flour? Yes. Okay. Why do I need to sift my flour? So the, I talk about this in one of my. Okay. Videos. You don't have to go into okay. details. You can no, 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 no. just to the blog. Yeah. So the, the problem that you find. Okay, I should I shouldn't have said yes. I should have said <laughs> probably, um, and I I specifically call for it in certain recipes because there are recipes where it's going to be a more like delicate cake, and you want the finest powder you can get, um, and so I'll even say like sift the cocoa powder and sift powdered sugar, like sift all of the things, um, because you want it to be fine and even and for some things that's way more important than others like you could do it for everything and then that would be just fine because i don't think anybody's purposely looking for a super dense something where you would be using flour but the the key with that is that it's just you're evening everything out you're not going to have any clumps it's going to be lighter because like you always see when and i i call for this too um, when you're measuring flour, you want to floof it <laughs> with like a spoon or a, a I almost said shovel, my God, uh, scoop. And you, you fluff it before you start measuring out. And when you're measuring it out, you're lightly taking, you know, the spoon or scoop and kind of dusting it into your measuring cup. And then when you get to the end of it, you don't want it to be dense and packed. You want it to be floofy. And then you take, you know, some sort of uh, flat edge utensil and you scrape off the top. And like, that's the proper way to measure. So if you're also sifting your flour, then you're kind of doing a lot of that in the process. Um, the big caveat to that, though, is that you don't want to sift it and then measure it because okay. then you're going to end up with way more flour than you wanted. So you still measure it the right way and then you go through and sift it. 
Um, okay. You could end up with like twice as much flour as you wanted if you sift it first. <laughs> All right. So you were, okay. So you were getting, you're right a step ahead of me. It's like, okay, if I am making a lot of the bread recipes I find online, um, they, they, their weights, not volumes, which I think is so great and so easy to scale and adjust and all that. So, so in that case, then it doesn't matter because a doesn't sifted, matter. sifted weight and unsifted weight are going to be the same. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's the beauty of weighing. And I, this is one of those things that like, I think I am probably the pariah of, uh, recipe developers on the internet because I don't list things in, in grams and, and weight. Um, but it's because I know that my audience is not the type to do that. Um, generally speaking, you know, I do have more advanced cooks and stuff, but generally speaking, the people that are coming to my site are not people that have a scale. It is not people that are going to buy a scale. It is not people that are going to care when I tell them that they need to, to measure things. So they want it in like, how do I scoop this into a measuring cup and make it work? Um, so I, I don't bother with that part in it. I like my eye kind of twitches a little bit because it's, it's so much more foolproof that way. Um, but that's just not, that's not who my audience is. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to get to them and make things as foolproof as I can without that method, um, which makes it hard. And frankly, I kind of feel like I'm making it harder on myself, but I know my audience. And so telling them to weigh things and go buy a kitchen scale and all that, they're just not going to do it. <laughs> so you're talking about the recipes and knowing your audience, something that bites me uh, and this has happened on several recipes. They're always baking recipes. Like I don't have this problem cooking, you know, any of these things I watch on YouTube and I cook, I don't run into these problems, not to the extreme I do with baking. When I watch somebody on YouTube make a recipe and I watch a full video and I know they're editing things. So I know like, ah, you know, they did this 30 minute video of like them cooking it in real time, air quotes, but they did their mise en, mise en place, mise en place. I can't, you know how you say it, mise en place. You know, it's not how you say it, but it's how it's spelled. Uh, your mise in place. Anyways, they have everything chopped. They have everything ready. I know there's effort and time goes into that. Yeah. But I went to make this bread recipe, this pull apart pumpkin loaf, and I love it. It's amazing. But I went to make this bread recipe, the first time I ever tried to bake anything truly from scratch. And I'm like, look at the recipe, and it's like, oh, total time, like three hours. I'm like, three hours. And I like look through it, and it's like, oh, it has to rise for 90 minutes. And then you punch it down, and it rises again. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, yeah, no problem. Okay. So I started making this recipe at like 7 PM on like Thanksgiving. This is like, I'm, I'm young, like 25 or 26 It's Thanksgiving night. I'm like, oh, let's make this pumpkin bread at 7 PM <laughs> thinking, oh no big deal. Three hours bread will be done at 10. Like I'm a night owl. So like, you know, sure. not a problem. Yeah. 2 AM. I think is when I finished everything. And I've noticed a lot of these recipes with me, I don't know if it's me or what, but the prep time yeah. is either completely ignored yeah. or wildly <laughs> inaccurate, like magnitude off uh, order of magnitude. Like, oh yeah, 10 minutes of prep. Here I am 90 minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I will say, first of all, cooking is an art. Baking is a science. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like I have a little bit of both. I'm a creative person, but like facts and sciences is, is where I, that's where I live. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where the, the prep time you are not, and I know, you know, this, you are by no means the only person that has said things like that, where it's like, what do you mean? Two hours? It took me six. Um, I 
thankfully have my my day job of being a technical program manager where part of that is working with engineers and scoping projects and figuring out estimates for things and then you know knowing what to tell the higher ups in terms of the timeline of when a project will be done um i have spent a lot of time padding numbers because i know that xyz engineer over here is going to tell me it's going to take him a day and it's definitely going to take him six so like i know how to pad things i try to do that with the estimates on my prep tie and on my recipe too because there are some things where it's like i write five minutes even though it is literally pouring something out of a bag into a bowl and that's it there's nothing else but i say five minutes because Baby, you really struggle to get the bag open. You can't find your scissors. I don't know. But it's, I try really hard to pad it, but not in a ridiculous way. Because if I tell you that a thing that legitimately takes me 10 minutes takes 60, you're going to be like, oh God, that's way too much time. So trying to find the middle ground there to make everybody happy is hard. But I think I, I think I do okay because I feel like I actually get less complaints about that than other cohorts I have in the space where they, you know, they're, we joke about things. We have like group texts and, you know, groups and things online where we discuss all of the ridiculous things that we see and the comments we receive. And I do see a lot of people say stuff like, you know, hey, you know, my 30 minute dinner recipe or whatever, all these people are telling me it takes them two hours, but it's because they don't know how to chop a potato. And I'm like, okay, so teach them teach them how to chop a potato the right way. Because if they're struggling with that part, then they're going to struggle with the rest. And then of course they're going to come back and say one star because it took me too long. Um, so it's, I, I try to really get to the root of what is going to take the longest. And if that's going to take the longest, how do I make it not take so long for you? Like even I have a strawberry shortcake recipe and the whole idea is that it's like the quickest way you can do it and still have it be homemade. And one of the things I realized when I was sending this to other people for testing, because it's never just me, I always get other people involved. I, I realized that some people didn't know how to like, take the stems out of a strawberry and still preserve the rest of it. And they were thinking they needed like the little thing, the little like, kitchen gadget that's just single use. And all it does is like take the stem out of the middle. You, like you don't need that. So I built into the post like, and here's the way you can chop the strawberries where you're not just like throwing away the top half of it. And that was, that was a big deal. And people have commented on the post to me that like, oh my God, thank you for telling me that. I had no idea. I've just been chopping off the, the top half of strawberries my whole life. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> okay. Don't do that. Um, but it's like, it doesn't necessarily take longer than what they were doing, but it's saving them a lot of grief in the end where they're like, I feel like I just threw away half of my ingredients and I'm building that into the prep time, but making sure that people realize when I say prep, it's not that you're spending six hours with all of these different ingredients. It's just, you need to do it the right way. And here's the best way to do it. And it's, it's a tough balance, but I hope that I do an okay job. And if anybody listening to this goes to my site and like, you're terrible at it, please tell me because I want to make that better. <laughs> So I'm going to send you a recipe when we get off of here and I'll post the recipe somewhere too in the notes. Cause it's such a great, uh, bread, that pumpkin pull apart bread. It's one of the few pumpkin things I thoroughly just love. Uh, but I rewrote the recipe. I rewrote the recipe as it takes me, like what it takes me yeah. to make it. And I spell out because there's some things where if you're a baker, 
um, or you've, you've been doing this, there are things that are intuitive to you. So like my mom is mm-hmm. just like, well, that's not what that means. You know, like whatever recipe. And I'm like, well, I didn't know that, you right. know? And, and of course now I am like hard headed. I do think like, if I don't know it, I'll figure it out. So like, I'll watch a YouTube video and I'll just move on with my life. So there's things where I have not learned properly certain things. There's things I think you learn just from exposure. And so I, I spelled more of those things out. Um, but yeah, I will, I will get your feedback on my rewrite of the recipe, which now accurately says this is going to take you six hours. It's just not all, it's not six active hours. Yeah, I do. I do make sure it's calling out the inactive time. So I have it in there is like, you know, the prep time is 10 minutes, but the rest time is three or chill time or whatever it is, is, you know, two hours. And then the baking time is 30. And so the overall time is this, you know, so that you know what you're getting into, because some people get daunted just by the overall number where it's like, oh, no, you literally just need to spend three minutes putting these together and just stick it in the fridge and see it tomorrow. Like, it's not that bad. But if they don't know why it takes that long, it like messes with your head and then you just click away and then I never see you again because you think that I'm super high maintenance. (laughs) So that bit me with Alvin Zhu. I don't know if if I'm saying his last name correctly. Mm -hmm. Z-H-O-U. Where, you know, he, who does he work for? Tasty.com. I I was going to say Bon Appetit, but I think you're right. Uh, one of those anyways, but like, I love, love watching, of course, his videos are gorgeous and I'm so into the lo-fi music that he uses too. Like for me, I go to my happy place watching his videos. They're just amazing. (laughs) And I love so many of his recipes are about letting things chill and rest in the fridge. Like even his, I think it's his lasagna. Like he makes the meat sauce and then puts it in the fridge for three days or something. And I'm like, yes, yes. And there's so many foods and things that I've noticed. I'm like, Ooh, this tastes so much better. Like two days later, once all the flavors have had a chance to meld in the fridge, potato salad, I'm looking at you two days, potato salad in two days is very unlike potato salad. The day you make it. Yep. Yep. Okay. So I need to sift my flour noted. Yeah. I mean, I specifically call for it when it's important. That's not one of those things that's consistent across, you know, everybody in the universe, the way they write their recipes, but I find it's always beneficial. Um, just less clumpy. So you mentioned, uh, the same thing. Everybody says cookings and art baking is a science. So I think, you know, the thing that's interesting with baking and broadly cooking, the thing specifically with baking is there's a lot of chemistry involved and, you know, there's same thing in cooking. When you get really advanced cooking, when you do get to the chef level, there is the chemistry involved in that too. Um, there's certainly not in my, you know, pour a can of ragu in a pot. There's not much chemistry going on there, but do you have any posts? Like, have you d- spent any time exploring that? Have you spent any time or written any posts you know, digging deeper on that? So not explicitly about that. Like I have in, in relevant, Posts I do talk about, like, you know, you'll notice that we're using baking soda and baking powder. And here's why, because this interacts with this ingredient and, you know, we've got the buttermilk and whatever. So I do explain it in the context of those posts. I have not, I was going to say, I've not read, I have not published, um, like the, the science of baking kind of thing. Uh, one, because I just haven't finished it. There's a draft, got it hanging out. Um, But 
two, because in my priority list of things, um, there is a wonderful woman named Tessa and she has a site, uh, Handle the Heat. She just released like a cookbook. She's just, she's adorable and wonderful, but she has a great science of baking, um, uh, section post and stuff on her, on her site. And because she is far more popular than me, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna let her handle that because I have, I have somebody I can point to for that until I finish my own thing. And because it is science, like it's going to look very similar when I publish it. So it's going to look like copycat stuff no matter what, but I do want to host it on my site as well. But because she has such a great resource for it, I'm like, if I don't have time, I'm going to send people there because she really, she geeks out about it maybe more than I do. <laughs> so, <clears throat> you know, the sous vide thing for me, mm. I've sous vide a bunch of eggs okay. and it's fascinating how different, like, I mean, there's a wild variation of textures. Yeah. It's not really the flavor is kind of always the flavor, but there's another chef I watch on YouTube, chef Jean-Pierre, uh, mm -hmm. who is a hoot to watch. And he talks about, I forget how he, how he says it, but basically like texture lens flavor, yeah. um, that things, the texture of things directly influence how they taste. And I went down this whole thing around making the perfect yolk. And you can do that with sous vide because you can get so precise with the temperature mm. and so precise with the time. And you can make this perfect, creamy, buttery yolk. And I got obsessed with it. <laughs> and I found out that there's a whole thing called molecular gastronomy, mm. which gets into these textures and these things, and these wild cooking methods and ingredients. Yep. And yeah, so there's a whole thing that I've yet to go down because I, I saw that it exists. And I'm like, nope. Nope. Don't have time. Nope. Stay away. <laughs> it's the, the people that do, um, oh God, I can't remember the term for it, but the mixologists that really go into the molecular side of things. I've, I've got a friend who does that. And it, it's wild to me because he spends so much time on it. And he's not a bartender or anything. He just does this at home for his, his own entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, but it is fascinating. And I would never be able to have the patience to go through all of that. So I've never really dove into the molecular baking stuff either, just because I know like where, where I need to invest the energy I have in my energy envelope. I know it needs to not be there because that's not what my audience is looking for. So like if I find myself with free time someday in my life, maybe I will, but like, that's not, my audience is not going to care. I'm going to think it's fascinating and like five other people that visit <laughs> and then everybody else is going to be like, wow, this is really boring and uh, intensive and please just show me something easy. <laughs> I think some of that's good though. Cause like knowing, cause because you have a platform yeah. and because you have an audience, I guess it's, it's twofold. Well, on some level, I don't know that you would, you feel pressure from that. I would feel some pressure from that of like, okay, there's some expectations. So there's some pressure, but then there's also a relief that comes from that because it's not that you're in a box necessarily, but it's that you understand, like, you know, you know what people are going to want at this point. Mm -hmm. And that makes things easier. The simple creative constraint is what that is. A, a good, healthy, creative constraint. Yeah. So no molecular gastronomy on stress baking yet. Probably not. <laughs> but maybe on that copycat website, I keep threatening you that I'm going to make, if you remember, that I'm going to go register stressful baking. 
com. <laughs> so you know. I will, we will just find a way to make every at recipe I have the most stressful experience of your entire life. <laughs> uh, and for what it's worth, when you mentioned this a few minutes ago when the show started, Midnight Baking would have also been a really great uh, name for your blog or a blog. So I, I don't even remember what it was. I did have something more to that degree before I settled on stress baking, but and I can't remember the name that I came up with for this either, but my my deal, um, because I kind of have a foul mouth, naturally, um, There, there's a website called The Vulgar Chef, and he kind of like took my bag, because <laughs> that's what I was going to do, and and he, he took it, and I couldn't do it at that point, because that became his thing, and he took off with it, and I was like, well, I can't, I can't just be the female version of that. Um, but that was really the route I was going to go because the way I write my recipes naturally for myself, uh, yeah, it's it's rated R. <laughs> so I don't think you're giving yourself enough credit there because I don't know who the vulgar chef is, but there's a guy on YouTube that got real popular uh, during the pandemic and his YouTube channel is called Nat's What I Reckon. Yeah. You know, and he did the same thing. And I think him being vulgar is a big part of, I think there were two things to it. He was vulgar and brash, but it was also like he was kind of calling out the pretentiousness of cooking while still, while still making a very high quality recipe on his channel and showing you that you can do this too. And it is amazing. The things that he points out, you know, just like, you know, his whole thing, like I'll bleep it out. Sorry, mom, you know, (laughs) fuck jar sauce. (laughs) It's like. You know, it's like, yeah, it's true. Like what really and truly during the pandemic when we were at home all the time, how much more effort is it to make a really good high quality sauce? It's not, it's just time. It's, it's mostly idle time. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I think there's still room. So, you know, maybe you can yeah. have, you can uh, publish under a pseudonym. And- I, you know, I like, I sneak things in, um, but I got to be careful of the Google gods because they will, you know, downvote me if I, uh, if I go too far off the deep end. So I, I, use, you know, substitute words for things. Um, But I do have things that I feel very strongly about. And so people will, you know, try to make, oh God, I don't know, like carrot cake. Um, And people will buy the like pre-shredded carrots. And I had a thing, I just, it's like, I would say tirade, but it's not very long. I just, I go into it and I'm like, get the fuck out of here, sorry, (laughs) with those shredded carrots. Just stop it. Like, absolutely do not do that because it's going to be terrible. And I'm going to hate you and just stop it. So like spend the five minutes to shred the carrots yourself, because if you use the dried out crappy shredded carrots for this, you're going to hate yourself. And so there are things that I, I get very passionate about. And uh, then I have to kind of edit myself where I'm writing because it's it's very important. But like, get get the hell out of here. <laughs> If you're going to do that crap and then come to me and tell me that, you know, the recipe was terrible and dry and, you know, fell apart or something. It's like, well, you didn't do it. I told you to do now. Did you? <laughs> Quality ingredients. Got to do it. I, I, I just, I slam that point home as much as I can with in like in an effort not to sound pretentious. I'm not trying to be like, buy the most expensive thing. Just get quality ingredients because if you buy a bag of, I don't know, white chocolate chips from the dollar store. Like, I promise you, you are going to regret it. Just don't do it. <laughs> okay. N- another YouTuber on this topic. Do you watch Cooking with Linja? 
No. Oh, she's hilarious. And so she does like this reoccurring thing on YouTube shorts. She'll do bussin' or nah. <laughs> so she'll make some recipe and do bussin'. And then at the end, she's like, bussin'. And so you got to watch this. You got to go find it. Cooking with Linja. It's so good. You will love this. I promise. And, but on this topic of ingredients, there's one ingredient uh, or, or a, a thing. It's not your, I mean, it is an ingredient, but it's more of a finishing thing that I've discovered thanks to my friend Chris. Uh, and the company we were working at is input. Mm. So have you had Jacobson salt, like that company's salts, they do infused salts. I am. I'm terrible with the names of things. I'm a visual person. So I'm actually going to look it up because if I see a label for something, I'll be like, sure. oh, yeah. I'm terrible with names. It is uh, not a girl. Yeah, under an umbrella. It is not that salt company. It is a different salt company. Oh, yeah. They've got like the citrus, citrus yes. brine and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at you. That citrus brine. No, oh, all right. All right. All right. All right. Rant time. So for Pete, because this is probably going to publish, it's going to publish in 2023. But for the record, for everybody, this is just before Thanksgiving 2022. We are recording this. I am so sad about this brine from Jacobson because they stopped selling the big, like, like not, it's not a bucket, but it was a big jar, a big, big jar. And it was enough to brine a 20 pound bird. And now they only sell the little eight ounce jars. Okay. And I'm like, I have to buy four of these things. And I was pricing it. I'm like $68 plus shipping to brine or 70 hours to brine my turkey. Like, I'm sorry. No, this oh, is not happening because the brine was already, it was, like, it was already like 28 or 30 bucks, but it was worth it because it's a very high quality ingredient. But now that they're only selling the smaller and it, maybe it's the same price. I don't know. It feels like it's more expensive, but I'm really sad. But Jacobson black garlic salt. So this was a double win for me. I'd never had Jacobson salts of any kind, and I'd never had black garlic. That salt is amazing. Okay. I don't think I'd like I've had black garlic salt, but I don't think it was theirs. So I'm going to need to uh, add that to my list. (laughs) And it, there is certainly something, I mean, to me, they're using a higher quality black girl. Like I tried some knockoffs because I didn't want to pay for it. Cause same thing. I'm like, well, on Amazon, yeah. I can just get this, you know, for $4. And well, of course it tastes like $4. So Jacobson, <laughs> yeah, black garlic. All right. Garlic salt. All right. Th- thanks for letting me like get that out there, you know? <laughs> so I'm curious in all the recipes and something you mentioned, like, like testing things in your toaster oven. Mm. Do you do you ever take a test kitchen approach? Do you do you try variations on the same recipe, and do you keep sure. like a lab notebook? I sure do. So I have a uh, had I should say um, I had a notebook that was that's all it was was just pages and pages of the same recipe over and over, and all the different ways I've tested it because. I want to be able to get ahead of the questions that people have where they say, you know, like, oops, I used whole wheat flour instead of all purpose flour. Is that going to make a difference? And I can say like, no, it does not. I've tried it myself, that kind of thing. Um, Because despite the fact that I know it's unrealistic for people to think I have tried everything in the entire world with this and I should be able to answer all the questions. People get mad. You, you, they just, they get mad. So they will ask you, you know, well, what if I try to do this, that, and the other with it? And it's like, I, well, I don't know, like try it and let me know, you know, but I try to get ahead of that as much as I can. So like trying different 
uh, ingredient swaps, trying, you know, toaster oven versus big oven, um, you know, doing certain things in the microwave versus the stovetop, you know, like I try to do as much of that as I can myself. Um, and I, I ran out of space in that notebook and I was actually going to go buy a new one. And then I decided to invest in a remarkable two digital notebook. And now I'm saving all the paper, which is great, but it, it's also uploading stuff to the cloud, which was what I kind of transitioned to anyway, as I started using like Google docs and I was tracking things, um, because I go through iterations. Like I have a recipe on a release so freaking bad right now for these gingerbread cheesecake cookies. And they're so good. But every time I make them, they're a little bit different. And um, I have not found the middle ground where I'm like, okay, I feel like everybody could make these and make them well. Um, and I want to release it so bad because it's going to be such a good holiday recipe, but it's not ready. And I've done it, I think, four times now. And I'm pretty sure my husband's going to cry if he sees one more batch of these cookies coming out of the oven. But it's not ready. So it's that's something I spend a lot of time doing, which is why it also... It, I can't put out recipes as quickly as a lot of other people do. Uh, one, because it's just me. <laughs> um, a lot of these people have teams, but you know, just the energy envelope that I have is small. And I also have a full-time job. So it's like most of the time I can only get to the stuff on the weekends. And unless I really nail it on the first couple times, you know, it's going to take a while. So this recipe has been in the works for like four weeks now. It's still not ready because I got to test it all of the different ways. Otherwise the internet will get mad at me. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. I have all the questions. Okay. So you make this recipe several times. You mentioned your husband can be frustrated about this. <laughs> all right. So, so he's obviously he's going to be testing some of this stuff. Does he test all the recipes with you? He does. Um, there's very few things he won't test he's kind of a garbage disposal, but there are certain things that like, we know he doesn't like whatever this is. Um, and so like, he'll, he'll usually still like take a bite just to be like, I'm sure it's great. I hate it, but I'm sure it's great. Um, that's why I try to get lots of other people to try things. Um, like I, I literally put out a note just on social media to my followers and be like, anybody want to test a recipe that's not published yet? And people love the idea of being in early. So it's oh, like yeah. getting all these different people of different levels in different locations, testing stuff. And so I, I did that with these gingerbread cheesecake cookies. And it was, it was good to get the feedback from other people of like, this is how it turned out for me. This is how it turned out for me. It turned out well for everybody, but it turned out different for everybody. And so like, it's not ready. Um, but he, he does try almost everything uh that i make you know there are some things that he he'll obsess over and be like can i can i finish it is it is it ready like he has to ask my permission he'll go in the fridge and be like can you eat these <laughs> are these are these fair game or do i have to wait are you still doing something with these because <laughs> you know i have to also test how long things can store like how long can you store it in the fridge and have it be good how long can you store it in the freezer can you store it in the freezer you know so it's like i've put notes on things and be like this is fair game yes you may eat this now <laughs> And then other things I know I don't need to worry about. I don't need a note like these cookies because I, I don't even know how many are in my fridge right now. <laughs> Too many. And I know he wants nothing to do with them. I hadn't even thought about the storage and yeah. testing how they, that's, yeah. I mean, how I had a watermelon margarita recipe. It's so good. It's so good. But it's just frozen margarita. And I wanted to know how long I could store it in the freezer. Literally a year I had this mix in my freezer 
and uh, opened it like a week ago and made it and was like, oh, fantastic. It's still good. So I went in and I updated my thing. I was like, I originally thought it was six months. You know what? You could have that in there for a year and it's still delicious. <laughs> so it's like, there's, it takes a long time to test this kind of stuff because unless it's something that you know, like you just got to eat right away, like a donut or something, like you really can't store donuts. They start to go bad. But everything else, like testing it is, uh, it takes a really long time. I'll challenge you on the donuts. I buy, I shouldn't be admitting this in public on, on the internet. This is going to live in perpetuity. I will buy a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts if I go to Krispy Kreme. If the hot now sign is on, I will eat four of those donuts in one sitting. They're like cotton candy. They just dissolve in my mouth. And yeah. it's like, it's, it's shameful. It is absolutely shameful. And I, I, and, and if you look on Krispy Kreme's website, you get their ingredients. The first ingredient, right? The bulk, what is the most of in their donuts is sugar. There's more sugar than flour in those donuts. <clears throat> so I take the leftover Krispy Kreme donuts and I freeze them on a baking sheet. And then I take them out the next day and I put them in a bag, just a Ziploc bag, put them back in the freezer. And I, I will tell you what, I will challenge you on now. I, it's probably only Krispy Kreme because of the amount of ingredients, like how they're, those donuts are so unhealthy, Yeah, but they stand up and they reheat and then be microwave 20 seconds. And I may not be 20 seconds and they're ready to go again. Yeah. And they're as good as new. And I've definitely had those in there for six months or longer and still now, obviously freezer burn is freezer burn and you have problems with that. Yeah. But if there's no freezer burn on it, they last, they last. Interesting. Maybe my problem is that I've never had leftover donuts. <laughs> well, I don't think that's going to work though. Like you think of like, um, you know, my, I have a local donut shop. That's one of the top rated in the nation and they do yeast donuts, big fluffy yeast donuts. And I know that what that's going to be like bread. You can freeze it and it's going to be okay when you thaw it or reheat it, but it's just going to be like bread. It's not, but those Krispy Kreme ones, boyo. All right. Get off my Krispy Kreme kick now, but interesting. So you said four, you're at like four iterations uh, on the current cream cheese, gingerbread cookies that you're going to send me the recipe for. I'm strong arming <laughs> you right now. I can just go ahead and send that my way. Um, um how many iterations? What do you think? What's the average like thing number of things that you tried? You normally try things. Is it just a couple times? Is it four, five? Three is my minimum. Three is the minimum. Uh, okay. Yeah, because I figure if I make something the first time perfectly, it could be fluke, who knows? If I make it twice, there's a 50-50 chance that I just lucked out. And if I do it a third time, I can make sure the conditions are a little bit different and like, you know, maybe the humidity in the air is a little bit different and everything. So there should be enough variables between three tries that uh, I feel confident in that. But if I can do it more than that, I will do it more than that. Um, but that's, that's kind of the great thing about sourcing it to other people too, being like, Hey, make this because then when I find out their results, I'm getting those extra tests without it having to just be me. And then I don't have, it's 56 donuts in my house. So I'm getting this picture. This is really fascinating because this is a labor of love. Like this is, a, you're not just, I mean, it's a job. It is yeah. a job uh, and you're putting a lot of work into it. So if you're going to put this much effort into something, how do you decide what you're going? I mean, I know you've touched on this a little bit already, you know, through the interview, but how do you decide what you're going to do next? Like, mm. cause this is a lot of work. This is a lot of effort. Like you're going to have to want to try this multiple times. There's variables here. 
it's <laughs> so it's hard. Um, I have a list. I'm actually gonna I'm gonna pull it up. I have a list. Uh, it's titled Recipe Ideas. It is in different categories of drink, savory, sweet, holidays, and then I have a couple series that I haven't released yet that uh, I've got stuff under that too. Um, there are 175 things okay. listed under there. Um, anytime I have a, an idea, I add it in here with whatever notes I might have in my brain. Um, the, the decision making of what to do is driven by availability of ingredients. That's, that's been a big one for the last few years. Um, the likelihood I think that people will be searching for, cause like I could make whatever I want and throw it up there. That's all fine and good. But if nobody is looking for that, it doesn't matter. Like it's literally just for me at that point and I'm not going to make money on something that's just for me. So I do a lot of SEO research. Um, it's about what's trending, what might be trending. Uh, if I want to get like, if I want to be actually really good at my job, <laughs> I pay attention to that stuff where I know that, you know, I, I need to be testing Christmas recipes in June so that they're ready to go when people start looking for Christmas recipes in October, yeah. um, which is insane to me, but like, that's when all of that traffic starts to go up. So it's like, I got to get ahead of it. So like the fact that I don't have these gingerbread cheesecake cookies out now is like, I'm panicking because we're almost to Thanksgiving. Like it's, it's kind of too late for Google. Um, I don't have the kind of domain authority that people like Sally's baking addiction. Like she can, she can throw something up and it is trending within five minutes. Like I, I don't have that kind of pull. So I have to get ahead of it. And if I've got an idea in here, like I've got something on here that I thought of that would have been great for Halloween. A little light for that. So like maybe I don't spend my time on that Halloween recipe. I can do that for next year. Um, it, I have to go through prioritization of like, what I can get my hands on, what's practical in terms of time and what people are going to be searching for. Um, Cause you know, people aren't going to be looking for Easter recipes for a while. So I can defer those a little bit, but not too far because if I don't get it out soon enough, it's not going to show up in Google. So it's, it's, it's a hard balance to figure out what I actually want to do, what I think people want to do and what people are, actually going to search for because the amount of effort that goes into just naming things quite frankly so that it's words that people are going to look for even though it doesn't sound the greatest um like i love puns and i had for the longest time i had these punny names for my recipes it was fantastic i thought it was the greatest thing in the world i got no traffic because nobody is searching for the punny name. They just want it what it's called. <laughs> so it's like, I have to sneak in my pun name somewhere else in the post, but that's not what people are searching for. So it's it's hard and trying to balance what the Google gods want with what I want. Uh, that's just a never ending battle that I need to accept. <laughs> so everybody kind of blames the current state of food blogs, recipes in general, on google mm -hmm. now when i was when i when i was that song where it's like I, and he was a young boy too and he was a young lad too whatever there's some song i don't know but but when i was a younger person uh there there was the like new york times recipes 
was a big deal. I was working at the Washington Post at the time, so we were doing our own recipes thing. But that was a thing, right? You went to, um, you know, more, a, a reputable source. You could discover some recipes that way. And of course, the at the time we called it the blogosphere. Yeah. <laughs> so the blogosphere was the other place that you found all these recipes. And something happened, and all of a sudden, every recipe site got very, very wordy. And mm-hmm. so is it just Google that pushed that or was there more to it? It's, it's a little, it's, I would say 50% Google. Um, when Google decided, and I'm, I'm not against this decision. I'm really not. They, they came up with a decision to push these updates that were more user experience focused. So they want people that have domain authority. They want people who are experts in their space. Like they don't want just anybody off the street to be able to publish something and have you trust it. I'm totally fine with that. Um, but because of the way Google pushes out updates, it's like, we've decided this is the new gold standard. Everybody else sucks. You are down on page 17. Like it's, it just takes a traumatic effect on on our sites, um, unless you had some sort of way to get ahead of it, which I, I don't. <laughs> so there might be people that have like the ins at Google that can find out those kind of updates ahead of time, but I am not that person. And it's not easy to go back and update. I mean, I have like 360, I think, recipes right now. Um, and you got to do that by hand. So yeah. it's it's happening very slowly for me personally, but the wordiness is a little bit the Google updates, but it is to support that user experience in that there are people who, you know, they, they quote unquote, just give me the recipe. So all they want is the recipe card, but everything that they need to know needs to be in the recipe card. And there's so many things that you just can't fit in the notes where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm explaining a specific technique for something like you got to go up to the blog post to see that tutorial so that you know how to do it. Um, it, there's, there's a large audience that wants everything explained every single step. Like they want a process shot for every single thing. They want to know exactly the kind of tool you're using, you know, whatever. So there's that audience and that's who the wordiness is for. But then there's the people that don't need that. They just want the recipe card. And so then we've got that there. So we're basically duplicating all the content into two different formats in the same post. And then also people want a video. And so then we got to have a video in there. And it's like you're trying to accommodate for all of the different ways people learn, which I'm all for, but it's a lot of work. And it does result in in large posts. Um, You know, the the good part about that for us is that that means more places for ads because that's how we make our money. Because as a reminder, the recipes are free, everybody. Um, But it's you know, it's got its advantages, but it's a lot of work. And it is one of those things where like, sometimes we roll our eyes at ourselves because it's like, here I am listing the ingredients one by one explaining what each ingredient does. And I'm rolling my eyes at that. But there, there are a ton of people out there. They're asking for that because they're like, well, I don't know what I can substitute if you don't tell me why I'm using this. So it's sure. like, you know, the egg in this recipe does this. Oh, okay. So you're telling me I can't substitute applesauce for that got it you know like they they want the science and explanation it's just is accommodating everybody is it's a crazy undertaking well i think you're drawing a distinction there that i hadn't drawn before in that i'm not frustrated by technical details Mm -hmm. in a recipe i'm frustrated by 
where with these other, especially recipe aggregator sites that are way overloaded with ads. And yes, I been around, right? Was in publishing, right? In news. I get it. And I know the importance of advertising, but it's just overloaded with ads. The site's unusable and it's just unrelated content to inflate the word count on the page, to inflate the page content size. And it is just miserable. Those are typically, those sites, in my experience, are using um, these AI text generators. Is that what? Okay. And you're giving them the topics. I looked into them because I want to understand how they worked because doesn't make me less mad, but oh, sure. <laughs> at least yeah. I understand why it's doing what it's doing. You're you're putting in like keywords and topics and here's what it is. And this AI thing is just spitting out something that's going to hit all your keywords and make Google happy. Um, and it, it's infuriating when I see a recipe aggregate site that is copying my content, spend a lot of time following, filing, uh, DMC replace complaints for all this stuff, but they, have my recipe fluffed it up with all of this AI text and they're ranking higher than me. Mm, and yeah. that's infuriating. <laughs> that's gross. Yeah. That's so yeah, gross. <laughs> frankly. Yeah. Wow. I didn't even know that was a thing. I just assumed that like people kind of know they're getting a cut of ad rev or something, but that's interesting. The, so the tough part is that those sites are also tend to be the sites that they're advertising themselves as hey, we're going to let you just save the recipe cards and nothing else, and you don't have to do any of the work, you know. We'll put it behind a paywall, and you can just whatever. So they're they're stealing. It's stealing. Because yeah. <laughs> our, our stuff is copyrighted. Um, they're stealing it. And, you know, under this guise of we're making it easier for you, the user. And I have friends that use those kinds of sites. They're like, yeah, but, I mean, it makes it so easy. Like, that's all they care about. They don't care about the origin of it. They don't care about who it came from. They just want an easy way to handle it. And so that's something that as a whole, the industry has been trying to figure out how how we make it easier. Um, and my like my ad company, Mediavine, has come out with some great solutions for that, that, you know, trying to implement and like get integrated more uh, consistently so that people know to look for it and they know how to use things and all that. But it's just, people are just looking for quick and easy. And if that, if that site's the one that shows up first, then that's who they're going to go to, even though it's stealing some content. So the only, I was thinking about, you were talking like, you know, the recipes are free, the content's being sold and ad revs a big part of this. So cooks illustrated charges for a membership or something. You know, t- mm-hmm. they, they pay all a few of their recipes. Mm-hmm. Is there the equivalent of that in the baking world? Is there any independent folks that are doing that sort of thing where they're through Patreon or uh, yes, OnlyFans? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Only fans. Yes. Only fans. That's right. Only flans. Um, we, so that's, that's actually one of the things that, um, my, my ad revenue, my ad company has been, um, I don't want to say testing because it is live, but I haven't used it um, just because I have a hard time justifying that anything I do is worth paying for. I'm like, I'm giving it to you free with, you know, I can get my ad revenue. Like you don't need to give me money for these things, but you know, maybe my mindset's going to shift on that a little bit. Um, But one of the things they're doing is giving us the option to say like, Hey, this is like, you know, the, the premier recipes on my site. So you gotta maybe not even pay, 
but you you have to subscribe to be able to get recipes or you do need to pay or whatever and you can hook it up to patreon or something um and there are people doing that where they're not necessarily charging but they are saying you have to subscribe but with that means that you know you also get one-on-one -on -one sessions with me where i can like you know help you troubleshoot things and all that and that stuff's really cool and i would love to do that but i have a full-time job <laughs> so i can't but there are people doing it and they're doing it successfully um but again those are the people that are already pretty prominent in the space and they're already the go-to people so like little people like me it's kind of hard to to get to that place without that being a full-time job and having a team and all that but yeah there's to answer your question there are solutions being floated around that people are testing it's just hard to make that the consistent experience and have it be so that everybody knows like oh yeah if you sign up for this this is what you're getting for it because it's also individualized right now. We're all just, we're all just doing our best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because that's something I've not seen addressed or talked about in a long time. Um, a long, long time ago. I'm, I'm telling my age, this is gosh, how long ago has this been? Almost 20 years ago. You know, there was, there was talk about like the Associated Press is a thing, right? For press, there's the Associated Press and articles you subscribe as like the Washington Post pays the Associated Press for the right to run those stories right. and get access to that content. And they're a member of the Associated Press. So it's kind of like there was some talk a long time ago about having these almost like, well, it's like a, not affiliated groups around different types of content, whatever. But I'm kind of surprised no one's tried to do that with cooking. Cooking's broad enough. There could actually be something there, cooking and baking, that you could get a group of people together as a co-op or affiliate group. But anyways, yeah. that's, that's all. It's all very hard. We've There's there's organizations that exist that, like, if you're a, if you're a recipe developer, you know about them. And there's these communities that that have resources for us in ways that like we can help each other sort of thing. But it's, it's been difficult to find a way to integrate that with the user experience. It's, we're just not there yet. And it, That's yeah, right. like now that I think about it, it is, it's a little surprising that we haven't come up with like the solution for it, but there are so many Google changes all the time that we have to adapt to. And there's, so many things about the user experience that just changed so quickly about what people want, because I mean, I was one of the people way back in the day where I'm, I'm telling you the story of like how this recipe originated with my grandmother. And it's a hysterical story and all these things. And like, I was purposely writing them in because part of my deal is that like, I have a sense of humor about things. Like I will show you when I fail, I will show you the picture of like the cake on the cat's head because something went wrong. Like it's, I include that stuff my life is not Pinterest perfect and I don't think anybody else should, should be either. <laughs> so it's like that was part of my shtick, if you will, was that like I'm telling you like this is the funny story about how this recipe came about and people loved that back in the day. That's what they wanted. They wanted the individual experience of like, oh my god, this is a real person that's making these things. And I still have people that want that, but like nobody else does. <laughs> and now it's, you know, it's constantly a running joke and people are always complaining. I don't want your life story. I just want the recipe. Well, you know what? People did want the life story. They wanted it to be a human experience for the longest time. 
And now that's shifted and everybody just wants everything immediately right now. So it's, we're, you know, we, we adapt to all of the things as quickly as we can, but, but because everybody is an individual contributor coming up with like these massive solutions for stuff like we're talking about, it's just so hard to do industry-wide and, and have everybody do it at the same time in the same way, you know, like it's, it feels like it's pretty much impossible. <laughs> I feel like there would be a struggle with collaborating without competing. Like yeah. I struggle with that in my career. Yeah. I feel like the thing that we've not addressed and will never address, honestly, as long as we are humans working together, it will never be addressed. <clears throat> but it's like when we recruit and hire, especially in technology, especially programmers, like, like let's talk about the privileged crowd mm -hmm. um, that we've both been a part of is that the story you're told during recruiting and hiring paints this picture if, if you really believe naively believe everything you're told it paints this picture of so many amazing companies that are going to change your life now the money the benefits can change your life it's up to you what you do with it right but you get into these organizations and you are not collaborating you're competing and it's gross like i'm 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 so over that so i could see that same thing especially with creators I don't know, especially transitioning to transition away from whatever we have now, because you, I think like my problem is I would have a hard time letting go of the effort I put into something where I built a personal mm -hmm. brand to then try to collaborate with a broader group. Like, how do you share that recognition? Yeah. I don't know that whole thing. That's just a sticky mess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things where you just have to find the right balance of who who you support and like you share their things even though there might be overlap with what you do because you want to support them as a person i <laughs> if anybody's listening to this that is a part of the recipe development space and knows me um it's not really a secret who my direct competitors are with whom i do not have a great relationship and i choose very much not to support them because they straight up rip off my recipes Oh yeah. That's I super have, frustrating. I have a file going where I have screenshots, you know, I got the receipts. Um, it's infuriating because they, they are more popular than I am um, traffic wise and they get away with it. And it's, it is the bane of my existence. Um, but you know, like that's an example of somebody I am never going to support them because they are just stealing everybody's stuff. And it's very, it's very frustrating. So that's somebody never going to never, ever, ever going to support. We'll go out of my way not to support. I'm not going to tear them down. I have not mentioned them by name, as you've noticed, but we'll never support them. Sure. Whereas I have other friends who do a lot of the same things that I do, not necessarily like same recipes, but like we're in the same space. We got a lot of the same audience. I support the crap out of them because I want them to be able to succeed too. And, you know, they do the same thing with me. So it's, it's one of those things where you just kind of have to find your people and you identify pretty quickly the people that you know are not going to be supportive of you. So you're not going to put your energy there. Um, whereas we've, we've kind of formed little groups with the other folks where you're like, oh yeah, we all want to help each other where we're sharing the things that we've learned and the thing that we heard about a Google change that's going to affect all of us. And like, a lot of us test recipes for each other. I've tested a bunch of my friend's cookbooks. Um, Tara Teaspoon is a friend of mine and I test her recipes. And so it's like, I have a little credit in her cookbooks when they come out and it's the cutest thing. 
it's like she yeah she's a competitor but she's my friend and i want her to do well <laughs> so it's like she does way better than me in terms of revenue and that kind of thing and she's way more high profile she's gorgeous she's got her face on cookbooks and news shows like she's been on kelly clarkson's show and oh, wow. like nice. and she used to work for martha stewart like she's big time and i will support her to the end of the earth because she's amazing and she deserves amazing things other people maybe not so much <laughs> not not gonna support them would like to but they have proven to me that they are not the kind of person that i want to put i don't want to give them an additional platform um and I know we all make those choices with everything we do all of the time. And this is no different. It's that's, that's not somebody I'm putting my energy into. You know who you just described in the tech space? Kelsey Hightower. Oh, Kelsey yeah. Hightower deserves everything good that has come in his way. He is yeah. the hype man of hype men. He, but he is the most amazing individual that he, yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah. Not now. It's not the time to get into that, but yeah. everything you were just saying about that, I'm like, that's Kelsey, like yeah. deserves every good thing coming his way. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like anything you, you see his name and that he's involved in something and you're like, how can I help? What can I do to help you? Because I just just gem of a human being. Yep, absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, we, we're like way, way like time here. So anything that you want to close out with? Um, check out stressbaking.com. I am, it, it is me on the other end of things. So if you send me an email or something like you're, you're talking to me. So that that's a twofold thing wherein I am a human being. So please be nice. Um, it's amazing. The things will, people will say from the other end of the keyboard thinking there's not a human being at the other end of it. Um, but also I'm a human being, so you can tell me things. You can let me know that this recipe worked great. This didn't work great. You know, it's, I am always really excited to get emails from people um, asking me questions or like sharing pictures of what they made with me. That is my favorite freaking thing. Um, I'm terrible at social media, so I know people tag me on things on there too, and I try to pay attention to that. But like when people email me the pictures of like the cake they made, it's the greatest thing in the world. So please do it. Leslie at stressbaking.com please send me emails. Um, but I also like when people want to hash out the problems they're having and they're asking my help with it in an email versus leaving a one-star comment on a recipe and being like, this was terrible. And I don't know why, you know, it's like, that's, that's not helpful. So I love the comments and star ratings, you know, like be honest and everything, but be nice. Um, but send me emails, man. I love that. I freaking love when people do that. So for the good, the bad questions, whatever you got, just send me the emails, subscribe to my email newsletters. You're going to get all sorts of different tips. Um, by the time this airs, the, the Christmas season will be over, but like I've got a series dedicated to the 12 Christmas recipes, uh, or no 12 days of Christmas recipes. Um, and I like try to do fun stuff like that. So if you're an email person like me, sign up for all of that. I am on the other end of it. Love talking to everybody. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, sir. This was fun. Yeah, I had a blast. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Fish Shells. For show notes from this episode and more information about the show, visit leetrout.com. Music production by Haroon Sarang. We'll see you next time.